Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Well, there's hours of time on the telephone line to talk about things to come. Sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground. Welcome to the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. This is episode number 73, Fire and Rain. And no, we're not going to be talking about the song Fire and Rain. Hitting you with the jams right off. <laughs> Listen, this is a disaster party and you're the guest of honor. <laughs> Fire and Rain, in this specific mm. instance, refers to two of three or more things that... Uh, People find themselves up against in the movies we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about tonight. Mm-hmm. So this is actually our second time doing uh, three disaster films. But this time, I think the last time it was like three 70s disaster films. True. This time, coming in hot from the 90s. Oh, man. Came from the <laughs> 90s. So this episode, we're going to be talking about Daylight from 1996, about people trapped in a tunnel. Dante's Peak from 1997, about people running from an active volcano. And Hard Rain from 1998, which is a whole ball of wax that we'll have to get into when we get there. Very much so. So I had seen, personally, Daylight and uh, Dante's Peak before. Uh, Daylight, very familiar with. I would go out on a limb and say that Daylight was possibly the first Sylvester Stallone movie I ever saw. Part of me definitely wants to say how wild that sounds, but also just makes sense. <laughs> I mean, he's got 80s way. classics like, you know, the Rocky movies and the Rambo movies. Um, as I've surely said numerous times, always loved action films, but was more of a Schwarzenegger guy. So I, I never saw the Rambo movies until I was like in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, similarly, you know, it came like, It's not that I would turn my nose up at a sports movie necessarily, but like just never had any interest in Rocky when I was younger because I was like, what the fuck do I care about boxing? Fair. And, you know, caught up with them later and they're very good movies for the most Mm -hmm. part. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I like I couldn't tell you how, why or when, but we ended up with a copy of Daylight on VHS in my house. And back in like the mid 90s, we didn't have cable. Uh, we would rent movies from like the library or go to Blockbuster every now and then. But otherwise, it's just what you have on VHS. So if I came home from mm-hmm. school and I felt like watching a movie, I had like, you know, probably like 150 things to pick from, maybe <laughs> at the height of our VHS collection. Okay. Which is not bad. And so I just rewatched, you know, whatever we had, be it the 90s American Godzilla or Terminator 2, though we didn't have Terminator 1 <laughs> mm-hmm. or daylight i like it uh and i've always liked it because of that i like the style in the miller household (laughs) and then uh dante's peak had seen at least once before uh but it had been a very long time and i didn't remember a whole lot about it and then hard rain is one that i 
I feel like I always wanted to see. I don't exactly know why. But, um, you know, I, I could have told you that it was like a heist movie in the rain. And that mm-hmm. sounds fun, right? <laughs> it, clearly. Uh, how about you? What what kind of connection, if any, do you have with these? Uh, Dante's Peak, similar scenario, many moons ago. Saw it at least once. Um, didn't really remember any particulars. Um, could have told you it was Pierce Brosnan, but that would have been it. Didn't even remember Linda Hamilton. Yeah, I was kind of in the same boat there, actually. Yeah. Um, so I remember that. What was the other Volcano movie at the time? Volcano. Volcano. Came out the same year. What was the story with that one? I haven't seen the whole thing, but it's got uh, Tommy Lee Jones, and I think it's like a volcano is erupting like under Los Angeles or something. It's like in a city. I don't remember that at all either. And I, yeah, like, <laughs> I've only seen part of it. One of the trips that I took to visit you guys in Boston, probably for a Comic-Con, I remember one day, like, late in the evening, we went back to Joel's house, some group of us. Uh, It might have just been, like, Brian and Joel and I or something. And found ourselves just, like, sacked out on the couch, flipping channels, and watched, like, a a half hour of Volcano. Oh, That's all I've ever seen of it. And so, like, to my recollection, it's just, like, you know... The streets are cracking, and there's like a volcano beneath the city or something. I don't know. Well, you know what that means. Time for another trifecta. <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple other 90s uh, mm. disaster oh, movies that we could be. pair with it. Yeah. I mean, plus, they, wasn't it, uh, what year was Dante's Peak? 97? 97. So wasn't it like 98? We got the dueling uh, Comet movies. Mm, yeah, maybe. And uh Deep Impact and Armageddon. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there's plenty of cannon fodder out there for us, Mills. <laughs> um, so, Dante's Peak, yep. Uh, up until 24 hours ago, I would have told you I had seen Daylight. Oh. But I don't think I have, because I don't remember a single bit of what happened in that movie I just watched. Wow. Kind of one of those random things, but yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen it. So the first Stallone movie I ever saw and the last one you ever saw. Wild, I know. <laughs> I know, you were watching Daylight on VHS. I was probably on like the, you know, 52nd viewing of Rocky Four in the Daxberger <laughs> household. Yeah, I feel like the most, I wish I had a, a photo of our VHS shelf from back in the day just oh, so I could amazing. like reminisce on what we had because i can obviously remember a lot of it but yeah like the weird oddball stuff like again daylight i'm not sure how we ended up with that movie on vhs Mm -hmm. but like that and chill factor which you know growing up only i was into uh only i probably knew about true there yeah there was like a couple of oddball movies that we had that i would watch over and over again just because that's what you had so yeah, that's what just what you did back in the day, kiddos. Yeah. I just remember that feeling of like I'd come home from school, like no obligations, nothing to do and just be like, all right, I'm going to watch a movie and then stand in front of the VHS shelf and be like, well, which one of these things I've seen a dozen times am I going to watch again? What a time to be alive. <laughs> it just makes me think like, man, if only I had the uh, extensive movie collection that I now have back then. Like, I could have gotten some of those things out of the way that are sitting on the shelves unwatched right now. I know. Could you even imagine having to go back to that? <laughs> like, for whatever reason, now you'd you'd have to pick one of two things, Mills. You'd have to have just going back to 150 VHSs, or you'd have to go back to, like, three Netflix DVDs at a time 
that you would then <laughs> pirate onto a hard drive. <sighs> I mean, two years or whatever your your stint was. <laughs> uh, you know, the world was your oyster at that point. Like you could, you could get so much more than you even can now on Netflix. At least more stuff that you'd probably oh, want to watch. Definitely, because there's yeah. so much shit on there that nobody cares about. Totally. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's something like there's there's like a simple satisfaction knowing well these are my hundred or so options. Yeah, and that's totally. all I've got. <laughs> You go on the go on the video store. Same idea. Like, what's what do they got right now that I can watch? Mm-hmm. Which is, in a manner of speaking, what I've recreated in the basement in uh, Technor. Yeah, yeah. So kudos to you, friend. Two like two thousand whole movies to choose from, and that's it. Just I mean, that's amazing. a lot, but yeah, that's a lot. That's plenty, <laughs> friend. But yeah, so like I can say that um, you know. Without saying yay or nay to any of these movies, um, you know we. Not terribly long ago uh, did the episode, uh, it came from the 90s, which was 90s monster movies. Uh And then just last episode, we did When Animals Attack, which was three 90s animal as monster kind of movies. Uh And now we're doing three disaster films. And so that's like within a relatively short span of time, we've now done like nine kind of effects heavy films from the 90s gotta love it and i gotta tell you i just love that time period of movies <laughs> it's just great uh let me uh just quickly say too uh never saw or even heard of hard rain before <laughs> this came up never even knew it was a thing completely mind blown of we'll get into what hard rain is and how it was hiding just outside of my view but excellent uh yeah i mean I feel like so many people would probably say that the 90s were just a terrible time for movies. I digress. Yeah. I think that 90s are fucking rocks. It's weird because, like, just if you asked me apropos of nothing, like, in the at a random time on a random day, I, I feel like I would probably also kind of look down on the 90s. And it's partially because we just had the shining light of the 1980s, like, mm-hmm. right before mm-hmm. it. And so it feels like it took a dip. But, I mean, there's plenty of stuff I like from that time period. It's almost this weird thing of, like, you know, I feel like the 80s had, like, a lot of classics. And there's definitely big movies and stuff like Terminator 2 and Goldeneye and then stuff like Pulp Fiction and Clerks and and, and whatnot that was coming out in the 90s that was, like, noteworthy mm-hmm. and, and important. But it's almost like, let's say you were born in the year 2000 and so like now this year you were 22 years old and you were like a movie buff it feels like you'd probably be going back more to the 80s and the 70s than the 90s right like just in general i i feel like there's like less that's like critically beloved and like time honored from the 90s i mean probably because you think like kids that like grew up in the 2000s and then late 2000s with like marvel popping off like yeah i feel like they'd probably i'd almost want to say they'd look down on anything before the year they were born just because how different movies are once it hit the 2000s <laughs> well that's why i tried to put in the caveat of like you're a film buff who ha- was 22 years old so you're yeah. not one of those people that's just like oh it doesn't have cg this sucks like but I would hope that, you know, maybe you start out in the 80s, 70s, 80s, but then like you f- you find all those diamonds because you got to think, I feel like I'd love to know the numbers that more movies came out in the 90s than any other decade. 
<laughs> I mean, probably up until that point, at least. But, yeah. But just like, so like the movies that we're talking about, like, you know, Species, The Relic, Phantoms, uh, Anaconda, Lake Placid, Deep Blue Sea, <laughs> and then these three movies, these aren't necessarily like the kinds of movies that, you know, critics would be recommending from the decade or whatever. But I think that it just goes to show like as much fun as we seem to have with the movies on like those two previous episodes and mm-hmm. and just the experience of watching like similar kinds of movies for this episode that they may not be like these time-honored classics, but there's just a lot of like solid fun like entertaining kind of dumb movies from the 90s a hundred percent and it hits this amazing sweet spot where you know we had like cg popping into movies as early as the 80s and like some heavy usage in like the late 80s with like the abyss and then the early 90s with terminator 2 and then by the end of the 90s we're on to stuff like the matrix which is just like crazy amounts of cg and some really impressive stuff for the time but Mm. like throughout the 90s we're getting bits of cg but most of those movies like the ones that we're going to talk about today for sure mostly practical just like enhanced or aided by cg and so you have this time period before digital filming like when they're still using film so there's still that like classic kind of film look to this stuff Mm. and it's like the best, like, like pound for pound, a lot of practical effects and the best possible practical effects just because over time right. they just get better and better. Like, yeah. lots of good practical effects and, like, some less than spectacular CG, but for the most part, like, used in a in a manner where it's just, like, propping up the practical stuff. Totally. And it's it's like this weird perfect storm that I'm realizing, like, there is a lot of quality visual like Mm -hmm. filmmaking in the nineties that I, you know, CG say it time and time again, you know, it's a tool and you should use every tool in your, you know, your toolbox or whatever. And the things that CG can do can do nowadays are amazing, especially if you're like, you put a lot of time and effort into it, but it's just like everything kind of looks the same now. Yes. Because of CG. Right. And just, I I find that like this episode, I was just like visually wowed by so many things and Mm -hmm. whether the movies are good or bad, like I I just, it put me in like a happy place, maybe because I grew up largely in the nineties as well, but I'm just trying to say I had a good time watching these movies. I mean, there's going to be no secrets here that I absolutely did too. There's just like three, a night of three solid fun ass movies. (laughs) Yeah, I'll come out and say it and like, had a blast. We're going to get into it. I actually can't wait to just talk about Daylight, but especially having basically two movies I never saw was just like a proper joy for all the reasons <laughs> you've said. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and get into the first one then. Please. From 1996, we have Daylight. So what are we looking at? We don't know the stress points in the Mid River. We can't risk any explosives. It's all got to be done by hand. It's going to take forever. If another shaft don't give, 10, 12 hours minimum. How long is the air going to hold? Three hours max. Three hours max. All right, Frank, here's what I think we ought to do. I think you got to cork it up and seal off the survivors from the fumes until you can dig out the Mid-River Passage. What do you think? 
Frank. Are you the acting chief or what? Yeah, kid, I'm the acting chief. So why don't you act? What are you trying to do? What are you doing? Frank, what are you doing, Frank? What do you want to do? Nothing? So you'll be held blameless in case you have to testify later on? Is that it? Pull it on me, kid, okay? It's past history. It's got nothing to do with this situation. Now, you're wrong about that. I had to take a chance. Now you do. I was in the same situation as you. Now, what are you going to do, Frank? There's nothing to think about here. It's three hours. Frank, it's three hours. You want to go in, kid? Give me a clearance. Whoa, 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 whoa. That tunnel is sealed from both ends. I mean, the mid-river here is like hanging, like, 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 like pickup sticks. Now, what the hell's the way in, huh? Uh, starring Sylvester Stallone, directed by Rob Cohen, who previously gave us Dragonheart on Triple Threat Theater. Yeah, boy. But also gave us the original Fast and the Furious and Triple yep. X. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'll always get a pass from us for the first Fast and the Furious. So. Oh, for sure. I mean, I it's been a while since I've seen it, but I like the first Triple X as well. I don't remember a thing about it, so I might have to end up on a trifecta. <laughs> it might already be, but sure. Okay, put it on enough. the list. All right. Um, And then just like, uh, you know, I'm not even going to say all, like, all these people in the film are that guy actors, but just like, a lot of good character actors, and there are some like you know recognizable faces. Oh yeah, for sure. Probably the first thing I ever saw Vigo Mortensen in. I mean, seeing him in that was like kind of mind blowing because I was like, I I don't really know him too much before Lord of the Rings. Like plenty of people besides. Yeah, I feel like I don't either. Carlito's way. I've always, I've said this before. I've always known him from that. I couldn't have even uh, told you he was in that. He is, and it's great. La Ling from uh, in the wheelchair, but that's a whole other. That's a whole other episode. I've seen that movie once. I don't remember it enough to know anything of what uh, you're talking about. <laughs> okay, well, it was Vigo, and he's he's playing the part. He's good. So, seeing him in this was like exciting because I was like, made me like instantly think like how many like older movies has he been? Like, was he a that guy actor or just like showing up in bit parts until he exploded? But um, I think he kind of was. Like, he was in. There's like a, I get a couple of them confused because I haven't seen all of them, but I think he's in like a, a horror franchise, at least one or two parts called uh, called The Prophecy, maybe, with Christopher oh. Walken. I think he's okay. in one or two of those. He was in one of the Texas Chainsaw movies kind of early on. Really? But yeah, I feel like he was kicking around. And I mean, this, like, you know, he's plays like handsome, outdoorsy businessman who's like cocky and thinks he's going to save everybody and dies in like the beginning yeah. of the second act. <laughs> right. It's perfect. A perfect death. Uh, but I mean, you got Dan Hedaya, who's just, you know, seminal that guy actor. He's in a billion things. He's one of the bad guys in Commando. What is he in this? He's a... Uh... He's one of the other EMT guys. Uh, he's the oh, one who like yeah. got Sly kicked off the force because he got his brother killed. Yeah, the mustache. Yeah, guy. eyebrows. Like he, the dude has giant fucking caterpillar eyebrows. It's like one okay. of his defining features. All right, Roger that. <laughs> um, I mean, the young girl with the video camera, who's like one of the people mm-hmm. trapped in the tunnel, is Danielle Harris, who was in Halloween. a couple of the Halloween movies. She's in Marked for Death. City Slickers, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, The Last Boy Scout, Free Willy. Uh, she's in a ton of things. Um, yep, her dad in the movie. 
That's, uh, he's a that guy actor. J.O. Sanders. Yeah, he's one where like I recognize him, but I couldn't exactly place him, but he's in a ton of things. He's in Angels in the Outfield, Kiss the Girls, <laughs> JFK. Tons of stuff. I mean, even other people that like I recognize, uh, I think he's been in... Was he in another triple threat movie? A uh, Colin Fox, the old man of the like couple that has the dog. Oh, I, I didn't. He didn't pop off to me as something to recognize. I will always remember him from Tommy Boy. He's one of the the people that Tommy like tries to do his sales pitch to in the movie. <laughs> okay, uh, that first EMT that Stallone sees that, rec- that recognizes him out in the street. He's a that guy actor from the nineties. Can't think of his name. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly which one you're talking about, but uh, another one of like the the person who has taken Sly's job and then immediately dies because he makes a yes. bad decision. That mm-hmm. is Drake <laughs> from Aliens, Mark Rolston. Right. Yeah. Who's also in a billion things: Lethal Weapon Two, RoboCop Two, Shawshank mm. Redemption, Eraser, Rush Hour, The Departed. The lead woman there, I know her from Heat. She's a uh, De Niro's love interest in Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know her name, but she popped up in many a thing. Uh, Amy Brenneman is her name. Um, yes. She was on NYPD Blue. Uh, she was the lead character in a television show called Judging Amy for 138 episodes. Oh. She was also in 106 episodes of Private Practice. Jeez. So All just right, like TV. a ton of recognizable ton. people in this, which for is sure. awesome. For sure. It's just like this really rich, kind of diverse, interesting cast. I guess probably ought to say, in case anybody doesn't know, premise behind this movie is that um, it's uh, there's some illegal uh, toxic waste dumping that's going to happen in New Jersey, and so there's people like illegally transporting barrels of this stuff through uh, what's the tunnel called between New York and New Jersey that the entire film is about. Mm, I don't even know to be honest. <laughs> uh, they're transporting it through a tunnel. And uh, meanwhile, there are some jewel thieves who are evading the cops. They end up crashing their car into one of the trucks, blowing the whole thing up, and it traps a bunch of people inside the tunnel under the river. And, um, like, so the the structure is damaged, and, you know, there's gases inside, and people on the surface are trying to figure out a way to get in there and save them. And Sylvester Stallone plays a... EMS, emergency services. Yeah, former former leader of the... uh, he was like the chief of the emergency services. Yeah, Holland Tunnel. Holland right. Tunnel. And um, he was like disgraced recently or something, basically fired, but he just happens to be there because he's a cab driver and he happened to be in the area and mm-hmm. he offers to go in and try and save them. And then it's uh, basically Sylvester Stallone and a bunch of like scared civilians in this tunnel trying to survive as mm-hmm. you know it's typical disaster movie things just keep getting worse and worse and worse for them yeah i loved it i think for i and especially first like 10 15 minutes before like things really pop off yes. where it's just like it's cutting back and forth yes it's introducing all these characters but it's doing it so well that it's like you're like you're getting it's like setting the stage for every group of characters like really quickly and like really well on top of like setting up this crazy action. I mean, there's a friggin' diamond heist, like you said, a crazy car chase. Like it's almost like a friggin' final destination movie with everything. I would start all <laughs> ramping up and I was yeah. just like, 
I was like, couldn't wait. And, and especially at that point, I was like, I'm not sure if I've seen this movie. Cause I could have, if you, if I had to put money on it, I thought daylight was like in a tunnel in a mountain or something. Oh. No clue. It was in the city. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I have to agree with you. Like rewatching it, it had been a number of years since I'd seen it. So I didn't remember like all the specifics, but man, the way the movie opens, it's just like through in the movie, you know, you've got maybe like 10 different, individuals or groups of people like trapped in the tunnel you've got like an elderly couple with their pet dog you've got a um a struggling playwright you've got a one of the like uh security guard officers or whatever police that works down in the tunnel you've got a bus full of juvenile delinquents on their way to do some like day work somewhere mm-hmm. um you've oh, got Stallone's kid he's one of the yeah, actors sage too. stallone is one of them mm-hmm. Um, you've got like a family, a mother, father and daughter and like the dad had like cheated on the mom or something. So there's like a lot of like, you know, bickering and whatnot going on there. And then you've got the people on the surface, like the, uh, the girlfriend of the cop who's trapped down there. She like works for the, the tunnel and is like Mm -hmm. on the other end of a radio through a lot of it. And like the, uh, Viggo Mortensen's character, who's like this, you know, businessman, um, who's on his way to like a meeting or something, they all get like trapped down there. And the beginning of the movie, like the first 15 minutes, like you said, is just one by one cutting to random people, like in their day, like what's leading them to being in this tunnel when this happens. And the movie, it just takes its fucking time. Like it, it Sylvester Stallone is like the last one who gets introduced of all of them. And it feels like, mm-hmm. you know, him being the big star of the movie, you probably should have seen him in like the first two minutes, but no, it just, it, it amazed me rewatching it. It was like refreshing how well paced it was. And it was just like setting up all these pieces. Cause it does feel like a lot of movies these days. I don't know if it's just like Hollywood trying to, you know, play to, you know, the new generation that everyone says has like, you know, no patience. And uh, they, you know, because of like YouTube videos and, and reels and TikToks and stuff, uh, kids these days, they they're like on to another thing every 30 seconds or whatever. Like it feels like movies a lot of the time these days, like rush through things just to get to like the meat and then still somehow end up being like two and a half hours long all the time. Right. But right. this it's just like. It's well paced and it's just fun getting to see all those people and like what they're up to. And yeah, it doesn't like it doesn't like waste time. And then when shit pops off, you like even though you only had like one scene with each of them, you really feel like you kind of know all these people. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love the opening. I, I wanted to highlight that as well. Yeah, it's great. Just like so excited. And then, of course, back to like being the perfect time in the 90s like so much of that had to be practical with a freaking explosion like it's it's insane i don't know how they pull off like the burning of like the tunnel like as it's like washing over the cars exactly but mm-hmm. um uh that was one of the big cg things so i have daylight and dante's peak on blu-ray and thankfully both of them have incredible making of featurettes Mm-hmm. So, like we were talking about, like these movies have a ton of practical stuff and some CG as well. So, it was just cool to see how they did all this stuff. Like, there's so many big sets and things in these movies, and like the the big burn at the beginning. You know, they had like practical explosions of miniatures and things, but then 
for some of the fire, they built a miniature tunnel and painted everything in it black, the car, like the miniature cars and the walls and everything, so that they could film fire against the blackness oh. to like use it, it, like use the pattern of the fire in like the explosions and the CG parts. And mm-hmm. like when that fire is washing over everything in the tunnel, they filmed like practical cars that they were like jostling around and stuff and people inside of them. And then they used CG to make like the fire washing over the, uh, uh, everything. So again, it's like practical that's enhanced by CG instead of yeah. just everything being a hundred percent CG. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. It's, like, impressive. It's not, like, too incredibly over the top. Because, like, again, if it was all CG, you'd just have fucking shit flying everywhere. And Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, you'd just be like, oh, we'll fix, you know, we'll take care of it in post. Mm-hmm. That's how every movie feels like that nowadays. And then, like, the, the majority of the movie takes place in this section of tunnel. They actually, uh, they filmed uh, all that stuff in Rome where they had this gigantic back lot where they built... I think it was like one fifth of a mile of tunnel. Like they they recreated that Holland Tunnel, like with a bunch of reference, and made a full size replica of one. I think it's one fifth or one sixth of a mile of it. They went all the way to Rome, and then they filmed the entire thing inside with like real fire at both ends. And this is wow. I love it's impressive. Yeah, there's like, like there's like a great scene where I don't know if it's um. Might be where like Stallone is trying to set one of those explosives, and like the main girl there, she's like on top of like that tanker mm-hmm. trailer, and it like starts to move, and like the water's pouring, and she's screaming, and it's moving. I'm just thinking like that is so cool because all of that they had to like rig some kind of setup to like spin this giant trailer while you know they got Stallone or a stuntman's hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I love this. I'm just like all about it. And then you just know that like when it is full on rolling after them, that they're like combining like uh, regular full size shots with like miniatures and probably Mm -hmm. compositing in shots of the miniature behind them. And yeah, it's just so much better. It just looks so good. Like it really does. I don't know. Like again, like a lot of CG looks great and flawless but man there is still something just about the way that a movie from this time period can look if it's got like the budget behind it yeah and even, but even stuff like this like probably has a great budget but there's still limitations to like making it for real and mm-hmm. i think that that's like such a a strong case for doing it that way because it just when you don't when it's not like oh we'll just make every we'll make the entire world in a computer later from any angle with any lighting like Maybe that is why, like, so many things just look the same or just don't look as exciting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think any plenty of people would say, like, as much as you film in camera as possible. Yeah. Well, Back to our opening, the 90s is just great for that kind of shit. Yeah. Again, like, the late 90s, which is where, like, all these movies are from, like, the latter half of the 90s when, you know, like I was kind of alluding to, you know, it's like practical effects have only gotten better and better and better over time. And mm-hmm. it's, like, all these people doing practical effects and, like, miniatures and stuff at the height of their, like, powers before CG, like, really started to take over. And it just, I feel like it shows. Yeah, totally. One thing that'll probably blow your mind uh, that I got from the special features is, you know, towards the end of the movie where um, it's uh, Stallone and the main female character, the character's name is Madeline, and they're, like, 
underwater as they're doing the blowout and like Stallone's yes. stuck under the dirt and everything. Yep. Yep. Uh, they shot that something that I never knew the name for, but they call it dry for wet. Mm. So that okay. was not underwater at all or in a water tank or anything. They filmed it dry, like with fans blowing on them. And she was on like wires, like pulling her up. Mm-hmm. And then they used CG to add in and make it look like they were underwater. Okay. I mean, that's probably like the only scene to me that like looked CG, but it didn't even look bad. Yeah, just just the fact that they, like, I would have bet that they filmed that underwater and then added CG to make it look like the water was rushing by or something. But, like, no, they were, like, the 100% dry, like, above water when they filmed all that stuff. And, like, it does look a little phony because, you know, it's like a, a vortex of water around them. Obviously, yeah. it's not real, but I right. was still super impressed by that. Like, when she uh-huh. gets sucked up in a way, it's like her own wires being pulled and she's doing, like, somersaults on the wires. and uh-huh. Yeah, it was no, pretty it cool. it was cool, man. It was cool. A lot of, like, I mean, besides them just having, like, a you know, quarter mile of a tunnel, but just, like, all the set pieces, like, where um, Vigo dies in that one tunnel or that, like... Uh, I don't know what you would call it, the work worker housing where they end up. Like, all those mm-hmm. set pieces throughout the thing are just awesome. Well, how about when they're trying to find a way for Stallone to get into the tunnel in the first place, and he's got to go through these, like, four giant fans Yeah, that they, like, totally, you know, just for an action sequence in the movie, they made up all this bullshit about, okay, yeah. we can shut the fans down for two minutes, but as soon as the like the readings realize that uh, there's no airflow, then they'll turn on the first one after a minute. And then right. the subsequent three in uh, like diminishing 15 second intervals. So he's right. got like a minute to get through the first one, 45 seconds to get through the next one, 30 seconds to get through the third one and 15 seconds like, just to ramp it up and make it more intense. And it's so ridiculous. That's probably like, it's fine, but it's probably like my least favorite part. Cause it was just like, that just sounds like overexplained, and even like when they have to slow the one fan down so they like stick a metal bar against it uh-huh. and all that stuff. I was just like, oh, it's uh, like completely like, ridiculous, but uh, I still love that part. It just makes me think of like uh, in the movie The Rock when uh, Sean Connery is like, "I'm the only one who knows how to break out of." Uh, uh, Alcatraz, oh, yeah. and then like, like that, they show like the scenes of him and uh, Nick Cage like breaking in, and it's like they have to. There's like these, you know, fireballs shooting out of things that they have to time like jumping in between, and it's like, why would Alcatraz have fucking fireball shooters in right. the tunnels? Like, totally, <laughs> that's it, just it what made me think but, of. Yeah, I mean, I could. The fans was just like a little too much. Like one one giant fan he's got to get through was enough, but. It's fine because that just gets him into the real action, and I like going forward from there. Just kind of like loved every bit of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a good time, and it's always like the escalating level of like we got to get the hell out of here mm-hmm. that really ramps up, which I really enjoy. Everyone constantly turning on each other, and then in the end, everyone's oh, like, yeah. you know, they've unified a little bit, and they're trying to help one another. And yeah. That one convict was going to smash Stallone's head with a rock if he didn't get blown up. <laughs> he did get blown up good, though. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so Madeline towards the beginning, like uh, grabbing that crazy uh, electrical cable yes. while she's boots. in a pile of or a puddle of gasoline. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, it's just wild, wild in the streets, Millsy. Wild in these tunnels. Yeah, 
yeah, I it's it's just a movie that I have a lot of uh, nostalgic and fun for. Yeah. Uh, it's a good time. I would say if I was going to be critical of anyone, I I don't know if I would say it's like Stallone's best performance. Mm-hmm. I feel like he, to me, just like throughout, I found I felt like he was just uh, like yelling his way through a lot of it, which I was actually kind of surprised. Mm-hmm. Not really like a detriment in any way. It's just kind of like stuck out to me. I was just like seeing him better in other things, yeah. you know, plenty of other things, but I mean, it's not the most uh, dramatically enriching role in the world. I mean, they tried to give him, like, the tragic backstory of, like, he, even though he happened to be there and is the one in there trying to save them, he'd been fired because he got some people killed. But, I mean. Yeah, no, even, no, not even a character issue, but just, just like him. I just, it it was several times where I noticed he was, it was just like his, I don't want to say his necessarily his go-to um reaction was just to like really like get a Stallone yelling going, which I just <laughs> seemed it seemed to be excessive is basically I actually felt thought. like um he was kind of downplayed a little bit, like where, you know, you expect a tough guy in a movie like this, like Stallone, to constantly be like grabbing people by their lapels and being like, No, you're gonna listen to me. But <laughs> The the way his character was, it's like he was more often trying to like talk people down or be you know, diplomatic about things when people were getting in his face. And one of the things that they talked about in the special features was that uh, Stallone was attracted to this role because for a chance uh, it was going to give him, since there was no like bad guys to beat up, mm-hmm. it was going to be more of like him having to um, dissolve situations with his words rather than his actions. Oh. Well, and I mean, I, I think I, mean- I feel that in there a little bit. I could uh, back you up on that, but I would certainly feel like I found, I felt him yelling his way through some scenes which seemed excessive. I mean, definitely had the lighter moments, too, now that you say that, but um, I could just remember at one point during watching it, I was just like, oh, he's, like, really... I don't know if it was just uh, his acting style or what, but it wasn't... uh, I wasn't feeling his dramatic turn as much as, say, maybe even something like Copland or whatever, which was kind of not exactly right around the same time, but yeah. I mean, I feel like that is even an example of like, different kind of movie, yeah, much but... more of a rich character than I'm the guy that's going to save people in the tunnel, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, uh, but again, not, not really even a knock against the movie. Cause you know, so much of it is so fun. Mm-hmm. And just those freaking wild set pieces and just the, the, the ramping of the action that kind of like, desolate feeling like <laughs> you're trapped in a tunnel beneath the the ocean you know yeah and it's like oh, god you know everything's on fire and there's toxic chemical fumes mm-hmm. because you were you know it was like a toxic sludge explosion that caused the whole thing and the roof's caving in and like the water is coming in and then there's like rats and it's yeah, I just a movie like this, you know, it's the same thing with Dante's Peak, and to an extent, it's the same thing with uh, Hard Rain, where it's just like things keep kind of getting worse and worse. Right. Um, I mean, the movie has a real strong feeling to me of uh, the Poseidon Adventure specifically, mm, mm-hmm. because of like you know the older couple and the the old guy has to leave his wife behind after she dies. I feel like that almost exact same thing happened in the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to have a hard time remembering that one, but I believe it. Yeah, Ernest Borgnine, that's all I need to know. Fair. 
Um, I was excited when I saw, because again, it had been a long time since I'd seen this. I was excited when I saw Mark Rolston's name in the opening credits, and it did kind of suck that he died in like one the one scene he was in. But which guy's that? Uh, Drake from Aliens, the oh uh, right, right, the right. dude who yeah. took over Stallone's job. Yeah, I was actually surprised that they they killed him off that fast because he seemed to be like an antagonist. But yeah. uh, they offed him real quick. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a really entertaining movie. Stuff. Like, is it high art? No, but it's got cool practical effects. Yeah. Just cool special effects in general. Melzy, we ain't here for high art. This is triple. <laughs> yeah, that's obvious at this point. <laughs> it's got uh, it's got a really fun cast who all work really well together. Like, I don't necessarily know if like there's an obvious weak link among the group like maybe the uh daniel harris's mom character she's just kind of annoying because she's like the one who's just like a bitch the entire time yeah i think if you probably had to quickly pick one it probably would be her yeah, yeah. but like even the um you know the juvenile delinquents um the one dude uh i definitely recognized um his name is Rinoli Santiago. He's in Hackers. He's, I was just going to say, he's in Hackers, right? Yeah, he's kind of the effeminate one. Same same mm. thing in Con Air. He's like an effeminate prisoner in that. Oh, right. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he was also in Dangerous Minds. Oh, jam. <laughs> yeah, so good cast, good effects. Um, you know, a pretty basic, but a, a story that carries, you know, every, like this crazy amount of action which is what you're really here for and stallone mm-hmm. not his best performance in the world but you know he's a solid lead it gets a little ridiculous at times but that's kind of what you expect from these yeah, sorts of movies there for i mean it starts out ridiculous well that fucking explosion i mean <laughs> the diamond heist into nuclear waste explosion yeah sets the tone mm-hmm. so but yeah i i always have liked this movie and i still really do yeah it's a great time nice can't knock it Apparently, Rob Cohen, speaking of The Rock, wanted Nicolas Cage for the lead. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I I honestly could see him in this movie. Yeah, for sure. And um, budget of $80 million, box office of 159.2. Okay. About double-ish. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. 80 seems like a lot, actually. So they might, but they had to build a lot of shit, you know? Yeah, fifth of a mile of tunnel in Rome, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like a weird decision I would love to know more about. Like of all things, like where to pull that off, they go to Rome. But uh, Apparently it was cheaper there. I mean, even that just sounds crazy to me, but. Cheaper? Because, yeah, because it's one of those weird instances where it's like all the cars and whatnot are supposed to be cars you would find in America. So they had to ship all those cars yeah. to. Even just like shipping a whole production overseas seems exactly. like a huge amount of money. But yeah, the thing was like, it was cheaper to film there than like the alternative. I forget where the alternative was. And like part of the decision was where they filmed it had this enormous back lot where they could build the tunnel. And then um, it had like a bunch of studios that were rigged for water because there's parts of the movie, like there's huge swaths of the movie, which are characters like waist high in water. So, yeah, it all just it, it worked out that that was going to fit their needs. And, yeah, I don't know how, but somehow be cheaper to send all that shit to Rome. Yeah. All right. So. Must have made sense on some spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> and um, final note about this one is that it's written by a woman named Leslie Bohm, 
who also wrote A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, the Van Damme movie, Nowhere to Run, uh, Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, and as a segue, she also wrote Dante's Peak, Oh, which we are now going to talk about from 1997. Do we have to wait? I mean, if we want to leave now? No, Susan, you don't have to wait. You can leave whenever you like. Okay, listen, I know it's tough to think about leaving our homes, but clearly it's the most responsible thing to do right now. Quite likely nothing will happen, but it's better to be safe than sorry. I want you to remember, no one should leave tonight without a copy of the town's emergency evacuation plan. They will be handed out at the door on your way out. I'd like to turn the floor over now to Dr. Harry Dalton. Thank you, Mayor Wondo. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I'd like it's to all thank over, you Les. all for coming down here. This I'm out of here before it all hits the fan. Excuse me. Excuse me. I would like to underline that these are just precautionary measures. Um, we don't want to start a panic. Did anybody feel that? Ladies and gentlemen, please remain calm. Please just stay I felt that. Kind of interesting that she totally wrote two disaster films that came out in back-to-back years but aside from that the rest of her filmography doesn't really seem to gear towards that kind of film at all i mean she had her fill i guess like two horror franchise sequels and a uh, van damme action movie and then daylight and dante's peak yeah some disaster for you yeah so dante's peak like i said i i've never seen volcano all the way through I I thought that I had the memory that like people looked down on uh, Dante's Peak generally, and that mm-hmm. does seem to be the case from what I was reading. It came out two months before Volcano, but I think didn't perform quite as well and didn't like Volcano was more critically praised than Dante's Peak. And again, can't really compare it because I haven't seen Volcano. But like I yeah. went into this one thinking like. You know, just based on word of mouth, even though I'd seen it but didn't remember a lot, word of mouth over the past, like, 20 years or whatever is that Dante's Peak is not a very well-liked movie. And so I was kind of expecting to be like, eh, it's not very good. But I had a blast with this one, too. Like, straight up, enjoyed the hell out of Dante's Peak. I mean, let me tell you, Mills. I will say, of, of the three, I thought this one was, like, a little too long. Yeah. But... An absolute blast. Yeah, it's like so good. Again, the production values are really high. I like Pierce Brosnan and uh, Linda Hamilton yep. as the two leads. Cast is great. Yeah. You know, it's got like the little like set pieces of like, oh, these people got, you know, uh, roasted in the um, in the, the hot pool spring there. The hot <laughs> springs. Then, yeah. Uh, you know, this this thing and this happens. And, they, you know, they got a freaking NASA robot up on the volcano. Like. Setting up some things for the big payoff, and that's like it's a good time. Yeah, I mean, it's got some kid kid actors that I didn't find to be insufferable, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're basically there to make things worse for the rest of the people when they right. make a terrible decision. But I mean, they serve right. that purpose. Yeah, which was like sets up some good action. I mean, that shit on 
on the lake or the river or whatever it is. I mean, yeah, where the volcanic eruption has turned the river water to acid and they're in a metal boat that's like slowly deteriorating as they're trying to get to shore. Like, yeah, that damn grandma, you know, she saves the day (laughs) because she caused all that horrible shit. Yeah, all that. It's great. Driving across like fresh lava uh, with like, you know, rubber tires that are catching on fire. And let me tell you one person that would not have registered me at the time when I saw this as a teenager, Charles Hallahan. Oh, you mean Norris, the spider head from the thing? You're damn right. How excited <laughs> I was to see him in this. Yeah, I didn't remember that he was in this either, but you know, he's one so of those good. ones where because of that spider head, the second I see him, I know who he is. So good. Uh, Grant Heslov also in this. He was in Congo. He's in True Lies. Um, he was just like a character actor that I feel like was in a billion things at the time, and he's very recognizable. Yeah, he was in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, Sima, the Asian member of the crew, uh, is in Rapid Fire and Rush Hour. Um, Robocop 2, he's another like that guy actor. Mm-hmm. And then I wasn't really super familiar with her, but the female member of the group, Arabella Field, she's in the 90s Godzilla national treasure and um an independent film that uh i'm a fan of called freak talks about sex that uh, oh. had steve zahn and a bunch of nobodies in it mm-hmm. but she was yeah, one of those nobodies she's a she's a recognizable face mm-hmm. so i mean we're on a good string of triple threats where it's just like tons of stacked casts of randos <laughs> which i love that's the that's those 90s movies man yeah it's great uh, this one, much simpler than Daylight. It's basically uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan works for, I forget the, it's like the National Seismic mm, something. Uh, Geo- <laughs> Geological Seism- Survey. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. The National Ge- Geological Survey. And they monitor, you know, mm-hmm. volcanic eruptions and earthquakes and things. And uh, so they send him out to this small idyllic town that just so happens to be receiving an award for being the second most desirable city to live in in America with a population of under 20,000. <laughs> yeah. So they're I having the it. fucking parade and everything. Yeah. I texted you when I was watching. I was like, I'm so glad it's not bad enough that the, this town's about to get smoked, but it also just won an award for being one of the best places <laughs> to live. I love it. Yeah. I love it. As so like Pierce Brosnan goes out there to start investigating and he thinks that there's a danger of the volcano erupting and then uh, the rest of the crew, including Charles Hallahan, Norris from The Thing, who's like uh, his boss and is trying to tell him like, you know, no, we, we don't want to scare these people until we're sure that something's going to happen because, mm-hmm. you know, if we... You know, once upon a time, uh, I did the same thing in a town and the volcano didn't end up erupting, but just the fear of it happening, like ruined the, you know, all the close the town forever. Yeah. Something he said. So it essentially it's it's like Jaws where the there's a Mm -hmm. true danger of people dying, but the The mayor don't want to hear it. Yeah. In this case, the city council. Yeah. Like the people in charge of the town are like, yeah, but the tourism. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So. Let me, and you can't forget too that, you know, Pierce Brosnan, he's been here before because the previous love of his life got sniped in a truck by a fireball. <laughs> by volcanic rock falling from the sky. Right. Amazing. Yeah, in the opening scene. So again, Amazing. it's got like a tragic backstory for him. Oh, of course. And then of course, Linda Hamilton plays the mayor of the town who also runs a coffee shop and 
she's single and, you know, there's a romantic thing there. It's just, and then the volcano does erupt and like the second half of the movie is just like constant fucking mayhem. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, I, I, I didn't feel the length as I was rewatching it. Maybe it was because I went in with the thought of like, oh, well, people say this isn't great and I don't remember enough to know any different. Yeah. If anything, it just felt like it was, um, I think at the time, or maybe I was just like really ready for the, the action to really kick off, but it seemed like there was a, in the middle is spinning its wheels a bit just to get to the, the final action. Sometimes I feel like a movie, you know, horror movies, you know, have no problem doing 92 minutes, but it's like all other things. It always feels like it has to be an hour 45 plus. <laughs> But again, not really a detriment, but I just think that was kind of the only thing I thought at the time was uh, I was waiting, ready for them to get to the big action. But maybe that was just me being excited. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I didn't really feel it, but whatever. Once they start barreling up the uh, mountain to save grandma and the kids, though, then really all hell breaks loose. Yeah. I'll tell you a movie that this really gave me the vibe of between like the team of scientists and their NASA robot and everything is Twister. Oh, yeah. Which would make a great uh, double feature oh. with this movie, I feel. For sure. Uh, very similar. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, being compared to Twister in my book, always a good thing. But, yeah, then, like, the, the mayhem starts to happen. And, like, I'm watching the movie. Uh, like I said, I watched some documentary featurettes afterwards. So I have the answer to all these questions. But as I was watching it, I just kept thinking to myself, like, is that a miniature? Like that looks so good. There's like parts of the town are falling apart. Like early when the first like eruption starts to happen and there's like an earthquake in the town and everyone's running and screaming. There's like this big, like stone, like cylindrical structure on the side of a church that crashes down in the background on top of a school bus while people are running and screaming. And I'm like, that has to be a miniature. No, that was full size with people in the frame. What? It's a you have got to track down this Blu-ray and watch the documentary <laughs> feature because your mind will be blown. They found a real town, like that's a, obviously real town in this like gorgeous area surrounded by mountains. Uh, they did add the volcano digitally, so anytime you see it in the background, that was CG. Mm-hmm. because they scouted places with real volcanoes, but they couldn't find anything that looked quite like they wanted it to. Um, so it is just this like gorgeous little mountain town. But they like took over the town, and they added on like fake breakaway parts to real buildings in the town that they could destroy. That's amazing. And so a lot like a lot of the carnage and mayhem and like windows shattering and walls falling down in the movie is full size buildings. That blows my mind. It it's incredible to see the behind the scenes and just be like, yeah, I remember that in the movie that I I thought for sure was a miniature. I just gave this movie another star. (laughs) Like uh, when the dam breaks, that was a, a miniature. It was a, it was a big miniature, but that was a miniature. And, like, for when the water comes rushing down and is crushing things, like, there were a lot of miniatures there. But, like, for all the kind of earthquake stuff, it was full size, which knocked my socks off. And then the other thing that was really interesting is, you know, towards the end of the movie, the town is just coated in volcanic ash. And that was all, like, shredded up, like, pulped newspapers. 
oh. that they brought in and they literally like coated the town in it, like knee deep in this stuff. And then uh, there was a local like cleanup company that every night after they filmed would come through the town and suck it all up so that like the next day it was like it never happened because they didn't want to like intrude too much on people's lives who live there. That's wild. Man, it's just like the amount of like time and effort and work that went into mm-hmm. making all that stuff happen in this movie. Like I'm sitting there watching the special features, hearing people talk about all the work that's going into it and thinking like, I don't, I don't think I would have the willpower to do this. Like I would just be like, ah, I'm going to go make a different movie instead. <laughs> Let's think, you know, they, they didn't know any other way because nowadays, I mean, none of that's getting done. Yeah. Zero point zero instances of any of that would happen. Yeah, just that it's like a real town that they like covered the buildings and everything and mm-hmm. in the fake ash and yep. like, yeah. Not happening if they made this now. So many fewer miniatures basically is the long and short of it than than what I thought. Like the grandma's cabin, when that mm-hmm. gets like burned up and everything, that was like full size. That wasn't on location because they were like surrounded by trees. I think they did that in a... um in like a a studio or something, but still that was great. Full they don't even building. They don't even notice, and then all of a sudden, this lava is pouring through this building. Yeah, that it. was cool. That was, <laughs> that was great. Mm-hmm. Takes out the cars. They gotta get in a boat. You know. Yeah, which again is like burning in the acid river. Yeah, because of science, the water is now acid. <laughs> yeah, love it. Oh, uh, it's just it's another movie where like it's kind of fun to watch like a crazy action movie like this every now and then that doesn't have a villain. Totally. Like sure maybe you know the city council aren't the most likable people or you know when Right. Charles Allen is yeah, arguing yeah, yeah. with Pierce Brosnan from time to time it feels like oh he he's he's the one I don't like because I'm on Pierce Brosnan's side but like there's no bad guy and it's just like watching people kind of pull it together and try to survive. There's something fun about that. No, Milzy, man is the is the villain here who thinks they can tame have their way with the world <laughs> and tame nature. Yeah. Fair. But fair. no. The volcano takes it all back. We are the disease and the volcano is the cure. <laughs> what a name. Dante's Peak. I would fucking love to live near a place called Dante's Peak. That's such a baller <laughs> yeah. name. I love it. I gotta tell you, that town was gorgeous. <laughs> I would oh, there. forget it. Yeah, we might have to make a stop on the Triple Threat World Tour one of these days. All these locations. <laughs> Visit Dante's Peak. Shit, imagine. That would be awesome, actually. Yeah, it would be freaking awesome. <laughs> I doubt the town's changed happen. too much uh, since the movie was made. No, they're smart. They kept it as much as possible. But yeah, great little set pieces like the river. Um, the one that always stuck out in my head, like I mentioned, was the driving the car across the lava with the the wheels on fire and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, they got the little bit where they have to drive across the river, and <laughs> Pierce Brosnan's like, oh, don't worry, we won't flood the engine, it has a snorkel. <laughs> yeah. And then other cars are following them into the river and just getting washed oh, away. Yeah, stupid some guy in a Caprice Classic thinks he can follow this 4 by 4 just dumps right in there. Uh, the fucking helicopter pilot tries to take people out and gets the fumes in his uh, engine and they go down. And Let me tell you what I love. I love that they set the stage early when the helicopter guy shows up to help them on the volcano with the NASA robot. Mm-hmm. And they're like, he wants to renegotiate his price. 
all that stuff. Like they just set him up as a bastard. So then later it's like you see, you see people handed him envelopes of cash to get them out of there. And then they all die. <laughs> great. <laughs> Such a great setup. So easy to make a villain in that scenario. Oh man, it's the best. This guy wants money. Kill him. Oh, forget it. Amazing. And then like the, uh, like when the dam bursts and the water overtakes the bridge towards the end and, uh, Charles Hallahan bites it like that was a miniature that sequence a uh, pretty big miniature I think I sent you a little video clip of mm-hmm. them filming oh yeah that scene. yeah it was great but um how did you feel in that moment because it almost felt like they were trying to do the same kind of thing they did with the pilot like oh well now the bad guy's gonna get his comeuppance when I didn't really feel like Charles Hallahan was that bad uh no I didn't he didn't play to me as a villain at all I think he was just like uh Again, how there's this type of movie, like he's just the guy that does his job to the to the T, and then you got your Pierce Brosnan. Loose cannon. You know, yeah, he's got another idea. But yeah, I didn't see it as that. I thought it was more it's like a tragic thing, especially because he like almost got out. And yeah, it, for whatever reason, one. it played to me less tragic and more like the movie was saying, ha, you've got your comeuppance. And- oh, yeah. Yeah, I think just the way the, the look on his face would have finally like went over. I was like, oh. Yeah, I don't know if it's like the way that it like indulged in it and like you watch him get flipped off the bridge and they put a fucking <laughs> Wilhelm scream in there on Charles. Oh, well, they did dying. too. They did. Yeah. No, yeah. It, I didn't think of it as uh, him getting his comeuppance, but. Yeah, I feel like that's, I don't know, the way it was edited or something. That's how it played to me, but I guess it could go either way. And then it's interesting that, um, so like at the end of daylight, you know, it's Stallone and uh, I think I said her name was Madeline there the last two trapped in the tunnel. And he had mentioned earlier in the movie, like there's this thing called a blowout where like you blow a hole in like the roof of the structure and then the pressure will like carry you up. And if it doesn't crush you, then you'll like make it to the surface and be fine. And of course they end up having to do that. And it's like this miraculous thing that they do at the end and they both survive in this one. I think it's interesting that they don't really defeat the volcano. No. Um, like, they don't get away. There's no scene at the end where everyone's crying and then, like, coming out of the cloud of smoke is, like, limping Pierce Brosnan carrying one of the kids or something. Uh, it's like they just, you know, trap themselves in a cave where they might possibly be safe and luckily have that um, NASA, like, beacon thing that they can turn on to bring people right. to them. Right, right. Uh, I thought yeah, I thought for, that was interesting. It's like I like that. Yeah, just like that's like, what do you do in that situation where like you're run out of options? Like, oh, I, oh best thing we can do, Millsy, we're gonna ram this truck into the into the caves. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought that was great. Yeah, I thought that was good. You know, they set up the the NASA thing earlier in the movie, and mm-hmm. I just I think it's really well made. I think it's exciting. I think it has incredible production value. I like the cast pretty much for the most part. Honestly, I don't know why the movie is generally viewed as not being good. I don't either. People just like, uh, I don't expect too much. I don't know. This is just like a great example of like a good popcorn movie. Yeah. I mean, it's got a little bit of cheesiness where like they probably could have gotten out of the town. Okay. Except the, the grandma's like stubborn yeah, old person. Like I, I, we built this house on this mountain and I'm going to die here. And then right. the two kids like decide to drive a truck up the mountain to save the grandma and then themselves right. get stuck. And it's like, that's how all the final action happens. Cause they have to go save the kids. Mm-hmm. And then like 
both this movie and Daylight, again, both written by the same person, have a dog that like is seemingly dead and then it pops up alive all of a <laughs> right, sudden towards the end. Right. Right. Like there's some corny things in it, but like the idea of a small town being hit by a volcano makes, you know, seemingly logical sense to me. Whereas, yeah. again, haven't seen it, can't judge it too harshly because maybe I would really like it. But the idea of like, oh, there's a volcano erupting under Los Angeles. It feels like that movie would be like cornier and yeah, <laughs> more obnoxious, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see what you're saying. Oh, this is just fun. This is just like a. I think uh, it's kind of like you said, even though they, they set up all the reasons why it's not going to be a quick and easy get a getaway, but it's like, that's why we're, that's why we're here. We're watching a movie, you know, like this is, yeah. this is what we're here for. So to throw all those curveballs for throughout the whole third act or whatever it is, it's like, it's just a good time. Yeah. I like Pierce Brosnan. Always have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he's good in this. I think him and, Linda Hamilton have like some legitimate chemistry there. They do. Yep. When beforehand, before everything really pops off and she's saying she doesn't want him to leave and all that. Like yeah. she's a great actress anyways, but I think this is another example as well, like how I was talking about um like expounding on what you said and like the opening of Daylight is like it's really good that it like lets you get to know everybody and like takes its time and you know you you said that you felt this one was a little long there before the action happens, and this is that part of the movie. But, like, I think getting to know everybody so well and really establishing those relationships and stuff just makes the second half of the movie work even better. Yeah, I mean, it, work, yeah, it just works for me, so, for sure. Budget of $116 million, box office mm. of 178.1, so decent return, but not um, not, like, mind-blowing considering it costs so much. Yeah, I guess, I mean, seemingly that's a ton of money for the, the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always weird to have that conversation of being like, oh, this thing, on- it only made $70 million, <laughs> you yeah. know, but it's like, that should be plenty. But yeah, I mean, sure crunching numbers, especially with uh, marketing and all that, mm-hmm. it's just not good enough, but it's a good damn time. Yeah, I think it's, it's a lot like of if fun. you want to sit down and watch, like, I just want to watch a fun 90s, you know, disaster flick, I mean. I mean, well, frankly, people, we're hitting you with three heaters tonight. <laughs> this one directed by your boy, Roger Donaldson, who also gave a species. Yeah, boy. As well as Cocktail Cadillac Man, the recruit and the bank job. And uh, part of the reason he took on this movie when the script came across his desk is because before becoming a filmmaker, he was actually studying as a geology student. Mm, so like he came on board and had a real stake in making all the science and stuff make a lot of sense so i guess you know it's a little over the top but like all the terminology and stuff they use in the movie is like straight Uh up i guess real yeah that works so yeah i dig it man yeah uh you heard it here don't believe what you may have heard dante's peak is a hell of a lot of fun dig in god damn it and now i really do want to see volcano to like See how that bout plays out between the two of them. I'm sitting here thinking of a movie, and it almost has to be Volcano, where it's like, there's a scene, and it's like the La Brea tar pits are, like, boiling. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I gotta, I'll gotta. have to look it up after, because I'm wondering if it's that, and if what what of it I have seen. But um, also, quickly, Wallace, Idaho. That's where we gotta go on our world tour. <laughs> Duly noted. And also, for some reason, 
the mayor of Wallace, Idaho, declared it the center of the universe. Okay. And specifically had a special sewer access cover to put in the precise location. It has a special marking on it. Center of the universe, Wallace, Idaho. So now we have two reasons to go. <laughs> okay. Um, does he have the right to do that, to make that decision? I mean, if you get some crazy guy to make a manhole cover, I guess it could say anything. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> who's going to who's gonna battle you? I don't know. But we're, we'll find out when we get there, Mills. Uh, good plan. Okay. <laughs> Sold. All right. Uh, third and final film? Please. All right. Finally, from 1998, we have Hard Rain. Charlie have cancer or something? I mean, why did he get into this? No, no cancer. Did you ever think about taking the money? No. No? Ah. I'm happy to disappoint you. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do with it? As little as possible. Belize. What? Belize, it's this uh, small country in Central America on the Atlantic side. I know where Belize is. What about it? Speak English, dollar goes a long way, beautiful beaches, friendly people, liberal banking laws. <laughs> Very liberal banking laws. Nah. You never once thought about taking that money. You can't ride in that truck and not think about it. Reckon that's how it started with Charlie. Which neither of us had seen before. Um, Wasn't even sure it was a real movie. <laughs> I feel like my connection to this movie and the reason I've always kind of wanted to see it, again, if I had access to all the VHS tapes that we used to own, I swear that this movie must have had a trailer at the beginning of one of the movies that we owned on VHS. Because I feel like I saw the trailer for this a ton of times, but I never saw the actual movie, and I always kind of wanted to, because I was like, oh, a heist during a flood sounds cool. But with that said, I knew that Christian Slater was in it. Couldn't have told you any of the rest of the cast, including Morgan Freeman, you know, big name. Yeah, of course. Randy Quaid. <laughs> uh, Randy Quaid, Minnie Driver, Ed Asner. Your boy, Ed Asner. Second appearance of the night for Mark Rolston mm -hmm. uh, as one of the police officers. And second appearance in two episodes, Betty White. <laughs> right. Like, what a I mean, weird coincidence that is. Cantankerous Betty White in two movies. Yeah. Like, f in her, like, full swing of, like, being crazy, mouthy old lady. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. An interesting connection because uh, Norris from The Thing was in Dante's Peak. Her husband in this is an actor named Richard Dysart, and he played Doc Copper in The Thing who gets his arms bitten off by Norris's oh, stomach. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. He looks completely different with, like, the giant beard and everything. <laughs> Seriously. But, yeah. Yeah. I actually did not recognize him while watching it. I had to read it afterwards. I didn't either. Yeah. Pretty wild. I would say if I had known this movie had existed, especially back around when it came out, I mean, I could have probably watched that over and over and over again like I did with um, Christian Slayer's other action movie that I love. Uh, oh, Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. <laughs> I believe the same writer. Yeah. Uh, this. this was written by Graham Yost, who gave us Speed, Broken Arrow, 
Firestorm, Mission to Mars, and The Last Castle. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good lineup. <laughs> it's an interesting lineup, that's to be good. sure. Yeah. Between Speed, Broken Arrow, this, and Firestorm. Totally. Like high concept <laughs> action movies. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. But, I mean, this feels, this felt, watching this felt just like watching Broken Arrow. <laughs> well, speaking of high concept, let's give the premise here. Um, oh, please. So this one is, there's a couple of twists and turns throughout, but the long story short, there's this town that is experiencing flood conditions, just nonstop rain, and uh, the town has been evacuated. Uh, Randy Quaid is like the chief of police, but again, it's like he's being voted out and it's like weird circumstances. So he's got kind of a grudge against the mayor kind of thing, but he's the chief. Uh, everybody's supposed to be out of the town. And I guess because of the flooding, this uh, security company that does like armored cars and like bank transfers is sending one of their cars around to collect the money from all the banks. Because if everybody has abandoned the town, there's the potential for looting. And yep. so Christian Slater and was it his uncle? Uncle. That Ed Asner yep, played? Uncle. Mm-hmm. They are the guys who drive around the armored car and they get stuck in the water and they call for help. And then before help can arrive, Morgan Freeman and his three cronies show up to rob the armored car. So good. And then uh, Ed Asner gets shot and killed. Uh, Christian Slater takes the money and hides it, and then he is pursued around town by the four bad guys. Mm-hmm. As the water, the water and the uh, tension, fear, <laughs> tension rises. Yeah, I I admit I was a little confused at times during this because you know they they dole out the information gradually throughout, but like. I kind of thought Morgan Freeman and company were just going to come and loot the town. And it was a coincidence that they stumbled upon the armored car. You find out later that no Ed Asner was like working with them and was planning to let them rob the car. But then they also weren't supposed to get stranded where they were. And it's like a lot of little moving parts in this one that makes it, I feel like a little more convoluted than it needed to be. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I mean, I thought, you know, they definitely give you the Ed Asner reveal later. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I liked, I liked the way it unfolded just because, I mean, they, they give you, like, a little scene of um, Morgan Freeman and his crew, like, meeting up at a bar. And mm-hmm. you got, like, the one loudmouth mentioned something about money, and he puts that thing on the crossword. He's like, <laughs> uh, what's what's number 26 across? <laughs> it says if you mention money again i'll kill you i thought that was so good (laughs) that was good i loved it i'll I'll say that like right off the bat this was the third of the three that i watched so i already had the the previous two like in my mind Mm -hmm. and i feel like one of like so i'll just broadly say i think this movie is pretty average on the whole like I didn't Mm -hmm. I didn't have as great a time with this one as I did the other two and I feel like part of the problem with that or part of the reason for that is I feel like it's it's the writing isn't as good and the pacing is a little weird and like right off the bat 
I feel like something that Dante's Peak and Daylight had in common was that like solid opening and introduction to the characters, which I feel like this movie does not have. Do you would you agree with that? Um, yes. I don't know if I necessarily think of it. It's hard to think of it as a fault, but or is it just a fault because it's up against the other two that are so strong, especially Daylight is just like one of the best. It's hard to say because I had already watched those when I watched this, you know. Yeah, no, that's a tough one. I don't I didn't have that thought. I mean, honestly, all three movies, I had a blast watching all three of them. Mm-hmm. So it's I mean, this one is different in that it, it's like the heist version. Like there is like a, there are clear villains yeah, and yeah. double and triple crosses throughout this. It's not even that, though, for me. It's like like this one, if I'm remembering correctly, it opens with the rainwaters are already coming. The town is pretty much all evacuated. Yeah. We get one brief moment with um, the cops when, like, the mayor drives by, and you get, like, that yep. basic concept of Randy Quaid's character doesn't like the mayor and he's being ousted or whatever. And mm-hmm. then, like, the first time you meet Christian Slater and Ed Asner, it's like a gag where you think they're bank robbers for a second. Do you remember that? <laughs> it's like the first time you see them, it cuts to... Uh, like the bank teller going oh, through right, a vault. Oh, right, 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 yeah. And then one of the, you see their feet and that they're holding shotguns, and one of them says, like, can you go any faster? And then they right. get outside, and it's like, oh, no, they weren't robbing the bank. They were. Yeah. And you have, like, one little scene with them driving before the car breaks down. You get that one brief moment with um the guys in the bar, and that, that thing with the crossword puzzle was good, but it just, it feels like, this one gets started a lot faster than the other two. Um, like time between the movie beginning and the car being broken down and uh, Morgan Freeman and them being there getting into a firefight feels like it's a very brief amount of time. And I feel like you don't really know who a lot of the characters are at that point. And, you know, you find out as you go along to a degree, but I just felt like it was a little sloppier and not as satisfying in the beginning for me. Yeah, I didn't. I myself didn't like have those thoughts. I know this one was like a 90 minute too. So it was uh, definitely not as much screen time in general. For me, it was like just kind of, it probably would have been longer if they had had been more set up, but they definitely like, you know, it almost feels like they could have cut 10 or 15 minutes out of the beginning of setting up that, you know, they put you right in like, oh yeah, it's flooding. Everyone get the hell out of here. Like here's these like three groups of important people. Here we go. Yeah, I don't necessarily have the thought of it being sloppy, but I know what you mean where it's it's just not it's the the gift and the curse triple threat. Maybe it's just not as high and tight as the other two, so it's like you definitely notice that fault. <laughs> yeah, that really could be it. Yeah. Like would my feelings have been different if I watched this one first, but yeah, as I'm watching it, I I had always maybe it's also because I built it up a little bit where all these years I wanted to see it. Not like it was at the top of my to-do list or something, but I always just like, yeah, I got to see Hard Raid one of these days. And then it like as a disaster movie, I I don't think it it comes close to the other two. Like, you know, they're in that setting of like the uh the high water and like driving boats through the town and all, which is kind of cool, but then also, as like an action movie, I feel like it's kind of, it's not filmed super well. I mean, it had to have been tough to film on the water and all, but it's just, I feel like it didn't work great as a disaster movie or an action movie for me. I, 
I don't know. It's mm. like it's hard to even put my finger on why, but just like as I was watching it, I just was not like super into it the whole time. Mm. I feel like Christian Slater, not the greatest leading man as well. Like maybe if this was like a Bruce Willis or something, it, it could have brought more to it or, or something. Uh, I mean, Morgan Freeman is Morgan Freeman. He's awesome. He does mm-hmm. disappear for like stretches of the movie. And then there's this weird like he's the bad guy, but we also kind of like him kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there's that I feel like there's a lot of uh, flip flopping and like I said, double and triple crossing as as the, the, the cops become the bad guys. And yeah, they start recruiting local hunters to kill everyone, kill all the witnesses. I mean, that's stuff I enjoyed. I mean, as it's kind of hopping around and I feel like, you know, picking Morgan Freeman is probably like a great a great casting choice to like to be able to sell like not even a, a robber with a heart of gold, but just not a guy that you definitely feel is like a maniacal villain. Cause he says multiple times, he's like, Hey, I'm just here for the money. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he just has that, like that Morgan Freeman way of delivering it. That... I don't know if we like need it or not, but I guess there was part of me that wanted more of his story and like why he was after the money. And like, I feel like I don't know a ton about him and, in general, I don't necessarily think you need to know a ton about the villain of a movie, but maybe because it's Morgan Freeman and he is playing kind of a compassionate character, but it's like, you would think that we would know, like, oh, what are the struggles he's been through that he feels like he's owed this money or, you know, what is he going <laughs> to mm-hmm. do with it or something? I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I'm finding it hard to put into words, but like, I was underwhelmed by almost every part of this movie, personally. Wow. I'm actually surprised by that. I think it's I think it's it's good. It's like a it's like an average movie, but it's just like first thing that happens is like Christian Slater goes running and the guys get like the uh, the jet skis and they're driving them through the school. And I was like thinking to myself, this should be more awesome. Like I should be enjoying this more than I am. Mm-hmm. You just gave your whole heart to Dante's Peak already. Maybe. And I'm wondering, like, so this movie's directed by a guy named Michael Salomon who mm-hmm. this this is like maybe the only movie he ever directed. He's directed TV, like a ton of TV stuff, including like a couple episodes of Bands of Brothers. But he was a cinematographer on a lot of stuff, like The Abyss and Arachnophobia and Backdraft. And uh, originally, it's funny because of the, uh, the Christian Slater and the Broken Arrow thing, originally this movie was going to be directed by John Woo, But he backed out of the project to make Face Off instead. And then, like, last minute, they picked this Michael Salomon guy who wasn't really known as a director. From what I read, mainly because he had worked on The Abyss, which was, like, a grueling water-based project. And they were like, oh, this guy can do it. And I wonder if it's, like, part of me is just feeling like the, the direction isn't great. I didn't love... Christian Slater in the lead. I feel like while Morgan Freeman is a good actor, I wasn't like super into his character. I don't know. I feel like it's just a lot of little things that like there was nothing that was glaringly bad, but there were a lot of things for me that were just like keeping me from really having the kind of fun that it it sounds like you, you had with it. And I I don't know why. And I feel like I kind of missed out on something. I don't, I am very surprised to be honest, but. I mean, between, and it's, for me, it was, like, right in that right time, too, where I was, like, I just want to know about more about, like, what, like, movie backlot or a small town or whatever they've, you know, filled with a million gallons of water to just do all these scenes. I mean, there's, like, a, 
I don't know, there's a crazy shootout in a, you know, a sunken cemetery. You know, the wild shit with the church. You know, they're driving boats through the church. <laughs> stained glass windows. I was like, I don't know. This felt like a, I don't even say standard, but just felt like a 90s action movie. Like, I was like, ramping it up and then then throwing in just the ever-increasing water coming. Then the, the dam goes at one point. I mean, it really, they, they uh, ramp this on. I mean, it's not, maybe it's not the same as, you know, volcanoes and, you know, the sunken tunnel action being as good as that, but I definitely had a blast watching this one. And then Mark Rolston decides he's going to kidnap the female lead and rape her on the stairs of her house for some reason. He yeah. handcuffs her to the like the handrail of the stairs. It definitely starts taking some hits <laughs> later on, especially like that where it's like that whole scene where he does that. I mean, like okay, she stabs him. He kidnaps her. Like she's unconscious, and the cops have just been revealed. Like, oh, now we're the bad guys, and so Mark Rolston kidnaps her, drives away on the boat. He could have gone anywhere in the town. He could have gone to his house. He could have gone wherever, yeah. a hotel. But he decides to take her to her house to rape her, and then mm-hmm. instead of like putting her on a bed or a sofa or even the second floor where there's no water to have his way with her, he decides to handcuff her to the bottom of the stairs where they're ha- like waist deep in water to like, why there is just it's weird. Yeah. And it's all because it's a means to an end because they want to have this tension when Christian Slater is trying to go save her and the water's rising and she doesn't have the keys to the handcuff. So she's like, she does have like a Swiss army knife and she's like unscrewing the the screws holding the handrail on so she can like slowly inch her way up the stairs to like avoid the water. But it's just like such a weird decision on his part to set all that up. Yeah. It's like you said, just a means to an end. Cause I like kind of hated all that stuff. It just felt like very ham fisted. And then, you know, Christian Slater goes to goes and find somehow with a sinking house that's now like been ripped up off its footing. He's look finds a saw that breaks. <laughs> yeah. Then she's like, "Go take his gun," and the gun's just like sitting on the front porch. Even though at that point, I think the house is being washed away. Yeah. You know, he ends up able to shoot her handcuffs instead. It was just like, yeah, was, that scene was probably the like. Here's a question: lowest bit. The cops are already the bad guys now. Like, I guess they wanted to make him seem even worse by making him a potential rapist. But, like, if their whole thing was, we want the money, and Christian Slater's character is trying to stop us, why didn't they just hold her hostage? That would have been good enough. Like, we took her and hid her somewhere instead of, I'm going to take her to rape her. It's just, like, such a weird little subplot in the middle of nowhere that feels like it wasn't explained (laughs) Like, I don't remember a scene earlier where there was, like, some weird sexual tension between Mark Rolston and her or something. Oh, God, I think, I don't know if there was or there was just some scene, but regardless, I mean, regardless, like you said, like, just to have him steal her away to her own house to do that. Yeah, to her house. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Just, <laughs> just, it was basically just so they could tell, you know, you know again, so someone could direct uh, Christian Slater there later. Yeah, you know, and like I think it's a it's heavy-handed. a it's a thrilling sequence when she's like again unscrewing one by one the screws to like inch her way up the stairs as the water rises. But it's just it's so weird to me that that's the way that they set it up. Like they could have yeah. done that without the whole rape thing. But right, sure, yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, not 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 a great scene in a otherwise fun movie, but 
uh, gets to like the real climactic action. I think uh, you get Morgan Freeman jumping a boat, throwing a boat engine and uh, <laughs> propeller at someone. Yeah, that was one of those things where it's like, did he do that on purpose, or was that accidental? Because like, which part? The jumping the thing. No, or the, 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 the the engine breaks. The engine off? hitting Randy Quaid. Uh, like, there's no way he did that on purpose. No, I, no, I think that was just. A it's just so weird to have like, all right, in this climactic moment, Morgan Freeman's gonna jump the boat, and I was thinking, oh, he's gonna land it on top of Randy Quaid's boat to take him out. Right. But then, no, he misses entirely. But coincidentally, his propeller thing hits Randy Quaid. Like that was a weird moment for me. <laughs> it's only in Fast and Furious movies where they plan that kind of wild stuff. Exactly. On right. It, but yeah, that that moment just felt strange. Like I was like, okay, so he missed him. He's gonna come around behind him, or the scene's gonna continue. And then it's like, nope, we cut to oh, incoming motor, <laughs> boat motor. Right. Yeah. So then, uh, ramps wraps up basically from there. You got the the dam has given way at that point. And yeah, I mean, this town seemingly got a uh, fifteen twenty feet of water. In it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's definitely up above the second story of a building. So, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, the the house had uh, gotten all the way. So yeah. So to my statement earlier about like how I feel like Morgan Freeman's character is a little weird and that he's like the bad guy, but then he's not, and like. Once the cops are out of the way, I thought he was going to be full on bad guy again because his whole thing was like, I only care about the money. But then uh, I read this, which doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, Quoth Morgan Freeman. I played a bad guy in a movie and they showed it to an audience and we're letting an audience tell us what to do now, you know. And the audience said, well, I don't want him. Morgan can't die. And I was a thief. He should get the money. We went back to the studio and reshot it so that I didn't die and I got some money. <laughs> mm, interesting. So he was supposed to die, but audiences were like, but he's so likable in other things. But he's, but he's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah. Which, I don't know. I I might have liked it more if it was like a little more black and white at the end. That's how Millsy likes it. Doesn't like any gray areas. <laughs> I don't think that's always 100% true, but I don't know. I, I can't put my finger <laughs> Tonight on, it is. I feel like there's like a lot of little things that I didn't like about this movie. Like, not enough to completely ruin it, but yeah, I don't know. I just, it never fully came. Like, I, I, the, the simplest way I can put it is the whole time I kept thinking to myself, why am I not having more fun with this? i got to be honest. Of all however many triple threats we've had at this point, I'm actually very surprised that this just wasn't like on par fun. Yeah, I just, I don't know, it wasn't doing it for me for whatever reason. I was, like, pumped to watch it again because I'd always kind of wanted to. Yeah, but you're just getting ready for that Bioboro burn already right out of bed, I think. (laughs) I mean, I could have hidden my intentions, but. (laughs) Uh, Budget of $70 A lot of scratch. Box office of 19.9. Ooh, well. I mean, something gotta have gone wrong because it's like, not that I'm, I'm just me, your, you know, neighborhood idiot, but I've never heard a single thing of this movie <laughs> and knew a thing about it. So it's like it seemingly, I don't know if it came out against something real big at the time or what. But. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I did read that the morning after the film's LA premiere, Christian Slater reported to Ventura City Jail to begin a 90 day prison sentence for drug offenses, assault, and battery. Oh, okay. 
Okay. Writer Graham Yost intended for this to be a sequel to Speed, but while the studio liked the concept uh, and the script, they felt that it was conceptually too different from Speed to be a marketable sequel to that movie. Okay. So, I mean, I think that could have been interesting, potentially, and, like, you would have already had, like, built-in knowledge of some of the characters and things from the previous film if this was a sequel to Speed and they brought back, like, Keanu. Mm-hmm. because, like, you watch Speed 2, and it's just like, oh, the same fucking thing all over again, yeah, but with a boat. Yeah, just runaway boat. Yeah. But right. then it's like you kind of back yourself into a corner when you call the movie Speed, and it feels like, well, now Speed has to always be a part of it. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect example of why you don't have to make sequels for everything. Yeah. You know? No, but- for sure. But, like, I, I, what I'm saying is I think this could have been a more interesting sequel because it's, like, a completely different set of circumstances yeah, totally. For, I mean, potentially the same character to have, you know, been a part of, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the music in this movie, like the score, did it, like, what did you think of it? Any any comments it, about the music? Do you even remember? No. It? I don't think it registered to me at all. I'm watching the movie, and as it's going on, I'm thinking to myself, Jesus fucking Christ, they are ripping off the alien score left and write like straight up bits of like building like instrumentation and stuff. It's just like straight out of the alien score. That's what I'm thinking as I'm watching it, which is why I was not surprised at all to read this after the fact. Uh, the film was temp tracked with uh, the score from aliens by James Horner. Mm. And then they hired a, uh, a composer to do the music for the film and he was he like lobbied to get the job like he wanted to do it and then the producers and the director liked the temp track so much that they forced him to quote copy it jeez which infuriated him because he wanted to do like his own score of course but that i mean like no joke as i'm watching the movie i just kept thinking that's straight out of fucking aliens <laughs> And it's because, you know, he essentially did, like, a riff on the Aliens score. Wow. I'd be pissed, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot else to say about this one. Is there anything else mm-hmm. uh, you wanted to add? No. Or? Let's talk them posties. All right. Uh, first up, we have Daylight. Uh, kind of classic. At least I'm very familiar with this. I think it was the VHS box cover as well. I'll go with it. I can't. Yeah, I can't really tell you one way or another i like it actually Mm -hmm. you know i have to imagine they went with like the yellow and orange kind of thing because the movie's called daylight even though the majority of the movie there is no daylight right yeah like you know it doesn't doesn't highlight like an actor's face or whatever because they didn't always feel the need to do that back in the day which was nice kind of surprising especially yeah like you said for nowadays yeah i mean they got stallone's name nice and big there above the title so they got that covered anyway but i mean yeah, yeah, at like, the time, that's probably all you need was just his name was good enough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you got like uh, two people, man and a woman, from what you can tell, uh, with light coming from the end of this tunnel. They're in like waist high water. I don't know. It's it's pretty good. Like the tunnel could be like more demolished to give an idea of like the disaster aspect of it, I guess. But yeah, but I mean, it's fine. It's pretty serviceable. And uh, yeah, Vi- like color scheme and everything I like. Not nearly as garish as you'd expect for things nowadays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tagline, hold your breath, I'm neither here nor there on. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It makes me 
I don't know. It makes you think there's a lot more. I mean, well, I shouldn't say that because there's a lot of water involved. But yeah, I think it's a combination of like, okay, so there's a lot of water in the movie, but also it's like, uh, you know, uh, this is so exciting. Yeah. You'll be holding your breath. <laughs> you know, that yeah, kind of thing. Maybe. I'm sure that they yeah. intended for it to have the two meanings. Right. But yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dante's Peak is more of what I'd kind of expect with just like actors' faces. <laughs> I gotta say, I love this one. Yeah, which sounds kind of crazy, but I don't know if it's just the. Um, I really dig the color scheme; those like hints of red mm-hmm. in the actors' names. The exploding suit at the bottom actually just made me laugh, and then you know they get get a little bit of that in the um, the smoke here. But I don't know it's just, it's kind of like subdued palette wise, which I like. I mean, it's two, it's just two people. It's a, you know, it's kind of like a bit more of like a photoshop job but it's yeah. not it's not like offensive looking to me yeah and you know what I, I like i mean it just doesn't have a tagline exploding soon is enough for me <laughs> yeah that's a good point rare for us to come across a movie poster on this show that doesn't oh. have a tagline yeah i mean aesthetically like color wise and everything i like it as well like if i was to criticize anything it would be like if you don't know what the movie is like if you don't know it's about a volcanic explosion it almost looks more like an avalanche to me below the title. Um, like the the red, the little red bit does look like an explosion, but like. If it didn't have the red, I would say 100%. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that it's like, it's like this rolling cloud of smoke, snow, dust, whatever it is, that's like low enough to the ground that you can see like street signs and buildings and, and everything. Like, you mm-hmm. know, because you think of a volcano and you think of like either lava flowing down or like smoke and everything poofing up. And this looks more like something like cloudy rolling towards a town, but it's, it's not like a huge critique, but just saying that that's like the one thing I would pick out is like, that could be confusing. Yeah. I almost wonder if just the, for me, it's like, cause it leads into just my eye is drawn all the way down, right to exploding soon would probably, <laughs> work for me but i guess people could miss that too so i see what you're saying here's a question though regardless of like liking the poster or disliking the poster how crazy is it that they made a movie about a volcanic eruption that doesn't have a volcano on it that's fair <laughs> like there's no post there's no picture of the volcano erupting on the poster you would yeah. think that's what they'd go to right you would think so but again not a criticism just a you know just a observation <laughs> i know it's kind of funny too because you'd almost think like if you had a movie called Volcano, you could get away without showing the volcano because exactly. it's in the name. But like Dante's but yeah, this... Peak sounds like, okay, it's like a mountain, but again, this could Maybe be construed as like an avalanche. So I wonder if they were just going for, I mean, imagine if they didn't want to turn people off that are just like real anti-volcano. I don't know. And you, you see that and you're like, God, what happens? I don't even know. I'll have to go see Dante's Peak. Could be anything. Like, you see a poster like this that's, like, appealing but a little bit vague, and all I can think back to is you I, – I don't think you have yet. I, I know I told you to back when we talked about uh, um, 12 Monkeys, but uh, you have the Arrow Blu-ray release of 12 Monkeys? I do not. Oh, you don't. I want it, but I don't you have it. you got to see the documentary 
where they have the footage in the room where they're like looking at all of the different concepts for the posters and the advertising to see how wildly different all the different takes are. And like when I see something like this and I'm like, it's a fine looking poster, but it's not necessarily what I would have immediately thought of. Like what were the other designs that they had that this was up against and they went with this? Again, not good or bad, just saying like, in my mind, if they were going to make a volcano movie poster, it would have a volcano on it. And like, you know, they decided on this one for some reason amongst whatever else they had. And I, I would just love to know, like, see the other options, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could I could have an encyclopedia 26 volumes of that kind of stuff. <laughs> of movies, so, yeah, yeah, I'm right with you. I'd love to see that. <laughs> and then uh, Hard Rain. Interesting graphically. Surprising that there's no faces. Yeah, for sure. I th- I think it's a really cool take that they have the bad guys like as silhouettes among the rain. Oh yeah. As an image, I like it. It's like, I mean, it's okay. It's a it's a little. No, I don't. Even, I was gonna say like, is is that red or that maroon like not punched up enough? But I guess it's okay. But. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I mean, it actually sells the movie a lot more than I would expect. Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty solid image. It gets across, you know, kind of the tone and the concept of the movie pretty well. Guy being chased by other guys in mm-hmm. water, rain. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little surprising that they don't have Christian Slater and uh, Morgan Freeman's faces on there, but they do have their names real big at the top. Yeah. Uh, a Simple Plan, An Instant Fortune, Just Add Water. Not a fan of that. No. <laughs> like that kind of pun could do without. Yeah, I think I think that the just add water was a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. But then without just add water, like what are you doing with the rest of it? Like No, I mean you you need something else, but yeah, the just add water is like of goofy pun doesn't fit the movie or just the the feeling of this poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, terrible idea. Yeah, I think it's okay overall, though. Break it down for the people, baby. The one thing I do think is weird really quick is, like, uh, the title at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's, like, the red text with, like, blue around the outside, which almost makes it look like it's supposed to be 3D. <laughs> yeah. The red and blue combo. Oh, it definitely does, actually. Yeah, look at that. I, I don't love the fact that they put the blue against the red. It's almost like they're clashing with my eyes. Yeah. You know, they should have just, like, cut out the water reflection blue that's right behind it and just had red on, like, black or whatever that yeah. super dark blue is. Mm-hmm. Or, like, yeah, with you. white with red around it or maybe the inverse or yeah, something. Yeah. But, yeah, the, the red and blue combo on the logo, not loving. Yeah, with the, with the blue right behind it, too. It's a bad call. Yeah. How do we feel about the, like, relatively simple block letters of the title of all three of these movies? Like, no interesting logo design or anything. <laughs> I'm okay. I mean, it feels like Die Hard or any uh, sign of the times. Maybe it just feels like that kind of heavy. Yeah, I don't hate it. Yeah, just interesting. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, I like I like the daylight poster. I like the the color scheme and everything, and how it's you know no heads on it i feel like that's like usually an instant plus for me these days since we've been dissecting the posters for so long Mm -hmm. and you know i'm pretty familiar with this one as well i think it's a reasonable uh four plastic explosives 
mm. shoved by Stallone into the soft clay of the <laughs> tunnel walls. A little, a little plastic for you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dante's Peak, like the color scheme and everything, I don't feel like I feel as strongly about it as you, but I mean, it's a you know relatively appealing just overall style with the colors and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would give that one, um, I'd give it three Ooh. volcanic rocks through the head of Pierce Brosnan's girlfriend. Ooh, damn. <laughs> the ultimate disrespect. <laughs> and uh, Hard Rain. The more I look at it, I th- I do think that the red and blue combo is weird through the whole thing. Like it's just red up top and blue down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what I'd change about it, but like, there's nothing about the movie itself that actually makes me think like the red makes sense. I don't know. Maybe that isn't important, but all I can think now looking at it since I said it is 3d because <laughs> of the red yeah. and blue. Um, but yeah, all in all, I still think it's a pretty solid poster. Get rid of that tagline. And I'd say it's a, uh, three, uh, Swiss army knives. Oh, all right. With the (laughs) screwdriver tip. Yep. All right, all right. Well, Mills, bye, Barbara Byrne. Shall I go, or would you like to go? I'll go. I'll fire off. I'll fire off here. Okay. Um, Nothing's getting tossed in the sun. I had uh, quite a lot of fun with all three tonight, especially for a couple. I'll just say, two that I never saw before, because I really don't recall any bit of daylight, Mm -hmm. but... um, Really, like, had a real good time, but it's just not, it's just not as tight as the other two, so my burn is hard rain. Good time. I mean, I think I clearly liked it a lot more than you did, but it's just the other two, like, fit the theme, have better casts, have, I think, better action overall, um... Kind of makes it like an easy pick for a burn. Again, not tossing it to the sun because I think it's good and kind of like a diamond in the rough a little bit, like unknown, seemingly uh, horrible decision for the studio to put out because it lost them a ton of money. But <laughs> I would commend anyone that would tell, come and tell me that they like this movie quite a bit because I would be with them. I'd do, you know, for especially for the time, you know, in the 90s, just having something like this is just uh fun with a, I think a great a great turn by uh Morgan Freeman. I really liked him a lot. Question. Answer. If you, so like Broken Arrow, Christian Slater mm-hmm. and John Travolta. Yes. And I mean this does have Morgan Freeman, but if like so this this movie only made 19.9 million in the box office. Mm-hmm. If you had the same exact movie Except you took out Christian Slater and you replaced him with someone else who was big at the time, like, for example, Keanu Reeves or Tom Cruise. Like, definitely makes more money, right? Yeah, for sure. I think it just gets it gets more of a it gets more of a push by everyone, you know, especially if Christian Slater is going through some domestic issues (laughs) at the time, you know, probably, you know, people avoid that. But especially, I mean, if you. Like you said, Tom Cruise or um, 
Keanu. I mean, that this thing's getting pushed to the masses and yeah. takes off because I don't seem to, seemingly there's no reason for it not to. Besides, that's, yeah, that's my thing is I'm like I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like I like as I was saying, I I don't think the movie's great, but I'm still surprised it didn't crack twenty million. Yeah, it's very surprising. I mean, for me, it's just surprise. That entire experience is surprising for a movie I never even heard of, seen a lick of, knew as zero about. Especially, and then again, for being so many connections to Broken Arrow, a movie I really enjoy. So, <laughs> yeah, just, this one's always going to be a an odd an odd duck to me. Mm-hmm. But good time. But something's got to get burned. Uh, coming down to the other two. I feel like I could go back and forth, but I'm going to give my buy is going to Daylight. I mean, just right off the bat, the the opening of Daylight is so solid. And then just the, the action kind of increases from there. I mean, seemingly like we kind of mentioned, I wasn't crazy about the the fan scene. But other than that, love the cast, love everything that happens. I mean, I always love Stallone, even though I like I had some gripes about his performance. But he's still our boy Sly. <laughs> And it's just, you know, the way they kick off this movie, even the way it ends, like, you know, you can almost feel like this suffocating from just imagining you're there. So um, that's how I felt watching it. Just had a, had a blast and also just like you almost feel like you're there. Dante's Peak, it's a great time. Tons of fun. Again, I'll I'll probably always think it's, it was a bit long, but um Maybe that's just because I like the, the the end action so much too. I was ready for it, and it, it, it definitely delivered. So. I mean, at least you can say that when the action shows up, they there was they a lot deliver. of it. <laughs> they <laughs> there deliver. They deliver for it. sure. Yeah, they deliver. So great time. That's my borrow. But would would enjoy owning Daylight and Dante's Peak just for those extra special edition behind the scenes bits. Yeah, they're both just regular old Universal Studios releases, but they have great featurettes on them. So that's me, Millsy. Your turn. Uh, no surprise. Uh, Hard Rain's also going to be my burn. I feel like if you were to take all the action movies of the 90s and apply a grade of like A, B, C, D, F, I feel like this is a C for me. Like it's not the worst. It's, you know a decent movie but i feel like there are a couple steps above it you know if that makes yeah, sense yeah i think i would say this is a i'd probably even enjoying it i'd of all of all movies throughout the 90s yeah i'd probably give it a c as well yeah so it's like i i wish that i had that kind of reaction that you did where it's like oh a hidden gem like a new discovery but it i i it just didn't impress me enough to be like yeah this is something that i might revisit or whatever but you know what it's not terrible or anything it's mm-hmm. it's fine and then when it comes down to the other two like i said i have a long history with daylight i've always liked that movie and maybe it's because i was so familiar with it already and uh kind of knew what i was getting into as much as i like it meanwhile dante's peak just for years i feel like i i've gotten the impression that people shit on it and don't like it went in and had a really fucking good time with it. I'm actually going to give the buy to Dante's Peak. Mm. I just, I really enjoyed it. I'm not surprised, actually, but after your review, I'm not surprised. Yeah, it just, um, like I said, it gave me those, like, twister vibes, which I dig, like, the whole, like, you know, Daylight has, like, awesome action and everything, and it's, like, 
the entire movie is these people in a harrowing situation, just like constantly trying to find their way out of it. Whereas I like the like kind of Jaws uh, sort of, you know, we, somebody in the know is trying to convince the town uh, mm-hmm. that they need to evacuate. Meanwhile, the town is like fighting back against it. And it's got like that weird political aspect to it. And like all the scientific research and like the gobbledygook about like all the, uh, you know, the seismic activity and like the, the robot and everything. And I just love all that stuff. And then it fucking super delivers in the second half. I, I can dig it. So, I mean, I, I love Daylight as well. Like this one could have been a toss up for me, but just like based on this individual viewing of both movies, I don't know. Dante's Peak was like kind of a real pleasant surprise. And I just came off of that movie with like this real high of like, man, that was that was a lot of fun. So well played. There you go. All right. I mean, all told, though, a pretty good time overall. Yes, please. We've got a decent track record of uh, the 90s films. Yeah. Here recently. Let me ask you a a quick question. Yeah. Of these three scenarios, trapped in a tunnel, uh, volcanoes coming for your ass, uh, you got to get out of a sinking town before the bad guys kill you. Which of those scenarios is like the most anxiety inducing for you if you were in that situation? most anxiety inducing it's got to be like, like which one would be like the worst scenario for you to have to if you had to pick one it's got to be the tunnel could. i mean like there's no part of me that feels like i could escape a volcano especially if i'm in that close proximity to it like they always are in the movie but i'm not claustrophobic but just like the idea of being trapped somewhere and mm-hmm. Like any idea that you could come up with of like, well, we could try and tunnel out or we could dig out. And it's like you're in this structure that's so delicate that like any little thing you do could cause it to collapse in around you. And then you're like buried mm-hmm. alive like that would probably. And there's so much of the movie where they're just waiting around with their own thoughts. And that's what makes the characters constantly <laughs> have these like crazy outbursts and things. And there's infighting among mm-hmm. the group where if you're up against the volcano, I feel like it's more just like run, run, run. Like we need to move the opposite direction of this thing, you know? Yeah. And the, uh, you know, the, the people in the town, I just like, I can swim, um, you know, as long as it's not like rushing water, like a torrent, like I can, I feel like I could deal with high water, but then like the threat, the real threat in that scenario to me being the human element, like, there's always a chance against a person versus like a volcano or a a tunnel collapsing on you. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of that thing I always said about like slasher movies where I feel like they don't affect me as much because I'm just like, well, it's a person. I feel like I have a chance at fighting them. (laughs) Mm. Bold. What about you? Uh, I think the same because I am just claustrophobic enough because my brothers used to wrap me in blankets and then (laughs) put a belt around it and, that's where my claustrophobia comes from. So now the feeling yeah. of like being restricted to where you can't like move your limbs, like, you know, if you like, uh, stories of people who were like spelunking and got stuck and they couldn't move like that is terrifying to me, but just yeah. like enclosed spaces, like being in the tunnel or like whatever wouldn't No, like being in the tunnel would be fine. It's like the real tight, like, yeah, like you said, like this more of the spelunking idea or like, you know, having to go for, through some little yeah, some little tunnel underwater to find some air. I mean, I could just see that really doing a number on me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about bad guys or rushing water. 
I think I'd kick the shit out of both of those. And then Volcano, yeah, I mean, if I was, like, in Grandma's house when the lava was pouring through, I'd really think we were in some shit, but I don't know, maybe part of me would think I could just maybe get away from that more than just being stuck in a tunnel underwater. Yeah, that's the thing, again, like, with a volcano, again, I have no thought that I'm actually going to be able to escape it, but at least for the most part, it's just like, okay, I'm going to turn 180 degrees to face away from it and move in that direction as fast and as far as I can. And like, there's a chance. Yeah. Whereas the tunnel, it's just like, I wouldn't even like, I don't understand physics and all that stuff to, (laughs) right. To know. I feel like you're going to be, you're more likely to be killed by a bunch of things in a sunken tunnel. Yeah. At least like lava, it's the lava. Well, or the acid river or, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or the fireballs, but yeah, so there's rocks. three things versus like any number of yeah, yeah. I get your point. Horrible, horrible shit. Mm-hmm. At least, and then water. It's just rising water or bullets. So yeah. So there we go, Millsy. Mm-hmm. We're on the same page. Same page. Uh, well, it's about that time. All right, uh, time to pick next episode's theme. Uh-huh. We have two hundred and thirty-nine possibilities. Two thirty-nine. Oh, Millsy. Did we finally get something over 200? Millsy. Did we get one again? <laughs> 229. Oh, wow. That's late. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Uh, you're, you're, you, you'll understand why, but uh, we're going to call this one High Stakes. High stakes. Wow, we got. Is this the first time we got one over two hundred? Uh, I mean, probably. I'm like more affected by that than I am like the choice of what the, <laughs> what the theme is. Yeah, I see that. Uh, this is our first one over two hundred. Wow. All right. So yeah, high stakes. Uh, that could be very straightforward. It could be like some weird reasoning for the title that we've come up with that'll make sense to nobody but us. Mm-hmm. Could be yeah, anything. 192 was the last uh, highest one we got. That was the highest one? Under the bridge. Yeah. Yep. So high stakes, baby. <laughs> so uh, get your guesses in. What do you think high stakes means? What do you think the movies are? Uh, I've seen one of these. Ooh. Um... Sorry, let me go back. Uh, 0. 0.0 for me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm ready. Very ready. Yeah. Something we say from time to time on here. Now for something completely different. <laughs> well said. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, until next episode, when we find out what high stakes means, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.